Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is a Lip Media Podcast. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening today. Welcome to The Gays Are Revolting, a dissection of social and cultural issues relevant to gay men. We put the G in LGBTQIA+, and we're here for the last time to help you be the best G you can be. And help us keep the conversation going. And stay connected to us and the show by joining our group on Facebook, please. <laughs> and welcome to the final episode of The Gays Revolting. How are you, my gorgeous boy? Uh, <laughs> I've never sad. been happier. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say I've had a couple of cries today, but yeah, sure. Fuck you, Luke. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't It doesn't feel like the last one. Like, it's such a weird feeling. Well, it's it the last yeah. one forever, but yeah. No, the last one for now. Yeah, it definitely feels very strange. I was getting very emotional earlier mm. and lashing out a little bit at everyone in the house Aww. and I was like oh no it's fine I'm <laughs> sure they deserve it it could be to do with the fact that you, we are in the middle of a global pandemic well yeah oh, that too it just feels like with so much going on in the world personally mm. I'm I'm more positive I'm a believe it or not a glass half full type of person that's uh, <laughs> surprising <laughs> I've got a hundred episodes that prove you're not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, the glass is full of blood and semen. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. But uh, tonight we're actually joined for the first time ever since we've started. Um, I have been begging mm-hmm. for us to talk about one of my favorite, favorite, favorite topics, which is <laughs> sport, baby. Uh, we're joined by Eric Dennison, a queer academic looking at homophobia in sport. Mikey and I did this interview, and I thought it was super fun. It was a little sexy. A little bit. It was a bit sexy. Ooh. It was a bit infor- <laughs> well, it was very informative. And it was about a, a world that I think personally the four of us aren't too deeply ingrained in. Although um, I recently have gotten into it. Yeah, I saw Tom's story today. Yeah, I've, I've, I've recently... My boyfriend and I got sick of watching everything on Netflix and Stan and that sort of stuff, so we started uh, watching the football, which I've never been into at all. <laughs> like, do you know the rules? Or are you just watching like the guys wrestle each other to the ground? No. So he's British and he likes soccer, so he was like, "Oh, can we watch football?" So I was like, "Yeah, sure." So me and him and his his uh, British housemate started watching it, and they asked me to explain the rules, and I was like. I honestly have no idea what's going on here. So we had yeah. to like stop watching it and watch a YouTube tutorial on how AFL works. Stay like, tuned for the like, interview. You're going to love uh, it. It's all about football. Yeah. And yeah. Ice hockey. You know, they play yeah. hockey on ice. 
ice hockey. Oh, I thought you meant just oh, ice. Ice yeah. hockey looks like full on yeah. smashing up against the screens and stuff. It's kind of mm. hot. <laughs> <laughs> after this last recording, we're going to be jumping onto a live stream for our patrons for the last time. But um, the live stream is always a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. I was like, going to say join us then, but this is going to be airing on Saturday. So it will have passed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also after our interview, we will be saying a few final words for our last dun, episode. Dun, dun, dun. So stick around for that as well. Before we yeah. all drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to tell each other how we really feel about each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but before all of that, uh, there's something I'm kind of excited to talk about. We've covered American politics. Well, we've covered, mm-hmm. covered the politics of the world quite a lot over the last few years, and it's generally been a bit of doom and gloom. So I'm kind of excited to have something political to talk about, which is actually giving me a bit of hope uh, for the mm. future of the world, especially when we're talking about the uh, the American political landscape. And that's Kamala Harris. Uh, have we all been following mm. uh, Joe yeah. Biden's announcement and, and everything that's happened since then? But mostly through TikTok. That's how I find out all my news. This is how I know I'm so out of touch. Like I'm, I'm becoming an old gay is because there's like entire social media things that I just haven't... I thought yeah. that TikTok was just like kids dancing, but oh, it's, oh, it is, it's, yeah, it's but... so much more, <laughs> and that somehow <laughs> taught you about <laughs> Kamala Harris. Okay, cool. Yeah. So Joe Biden, uh, who is of course running against Donald Trump for the American election in about seventy days, uh, has announced his running mate, his vice president, uh, hopeful, and uh, it's Kamala Harris. It's very exciting. She's. I believe very uh, pro LGBTI, yes. um, and yeah. she she is a bit of a breath of fresh air. I I think at least. What do you guys think? I'm all about it. Honestly, <laughs> I think she is fantastic. I'm really really excited to see how this next election goes. Mm. Yeah, she's super super pro LGBTQA plus. I mean, she's had her like little iffy moments here and there when it comes to trans rights, but she's definitely sort of like picked up on that, Mm. worked it out and been like, actually, I was wrong about this. Let's change these things. There's a few things about sex work as well that she's not very supportive of, but I think as any human or any decent human, um, she's going to learn and grow and come around. She's definitely someone that'll come around. I think it's so exciting because like she, yeah, absolutely this breath of fresh air and she's like this younger kind of force Mm. and she's like really go-getter and she's like good at... like debating people and yeah yeah she's like this nice young person next to the crypt keeper of joe biden <laughs> and and let's be honest as well there's some stuff from joe biden's past oh, yeah. that wasn't entirely on our side but i think we need to be a bit realistic about this stuff and we need to mm. acknowledge that unless you're electing someone that's in their 20s whatever politics you know were 40 years ago they probably have evolved since then. Right. And, and, and the worst things they've found in her closet, um, you talked about mm. her relations with trans people. What it was was that she was involved in the blocking of, of a medical affirming care, so hormone treatment for a trans woman that was being held in a men's prison in 2015. Mm. But she has since explained that the legal brief, although it was produced by her office, it was not seen by her and all that sort of thing. So it's not that her opinions were that trans no. people in prison shouldn't be receiving that medication. And she has since come out and said that very clearly. She believes that all inmates should be receiving the medication they need. Mm. But she also impressively said, although she didn't cite that paper before it went out and all that sort of stuff, she still takes full responsibility of it because it was coming from her office, which I really yeah. think Yeah, like she said, the buck stops with me. Like yeah. so she was taking full responsibility. And I think that takes a lot. And the sex worker stuff was interesting as well. It, it was actually about backing a bill that shut down websites like Craigslist classifiers and stuff, which in the right. states, states is often used by um, sex workers to sort of vet 
potential clients and that sort of thing. And, and it helps to keep them safe. The reason she was shutting it down was actually because of the sex trafficking that was happening on the website. Mm. And she's again since said, look, we, we probably should have broken that down a bit more and looked how we could stop one avenue of that web, of those websites and not the other avenue of those websites. And is also in support of legalizing sex work, which is like so progressive mm. for an American so good. potential VP to, to be saying. I, I find her mm. so exciting, you know, she, and, and her, her mm. CV sort of speaks for itself as well. You know, she outlawed uh, panic defense. Um, yeah, I feel like she fiercely defends LGBTQ yeah. community. She doesn't like just tolerate it. Like she's like no, no, no. She's, like she's been quite for it. Yeah, there, yeah. Um, she was pro gay marriage years before. Oh, and mm. just to mention, also the the panic defenses here when we talk in Australia when we talk about panic defense, it's quite often we're talking about it in the context of um, gay cis men, yeah. and and that's a very important thing. But uh, she was also talking about panic defense being used against trans people as well, uh, which is very important. Mm. Also wants to roll back uh, Trump's transgender military ban. Oh, thank God, there's very, a lot uh, of fucking Trump to it's roll It's a meaningful back. choice for yeah. the visibility of a person of color is well overdue. Mm. You know, that phrase, a breath of fresh air, keeps coming ar- around a lot, but I think the statement we should be saying is something like about time, you you know, and just saying rather yes. than like, oh, this is new mm. and different and I'm excited. Yeah. We should be saying about time, like, thank fucking God. Yeah, uh, totally. You know, I just hope that uh, it does pave a way for a newer standard. And it's all about normalizing. I'm sure, you know, I don't follow a lot of the right wing political news sources, but I have seen quite a few mm. people on Fox News, for example, uh, purposefully choose not to pronounce her name properly yeah. and and sling as much mud as possible. Mm. But it, it's a step towards normalization in that we should be seeing uh, people mm. – people of many different genders and colours running for positions of power in all levels of, of state and government and in our workplaces. So for for me, I really look at it as about time and yeah. something that seemed like a logical decision for where uh, the social conscious is at or has been at for quite a while now. So, hmm. But you think about American politics and it just sort of gives you the heebie-jeebies at the moment as well. It's not like a, a nice world to be giving mind space to it. <laughs> the most, it's a- Which is why it's such a breath of fresh air to see both both Biden yeah. and uh, Kamala talking about America in a really uniting way. Like, yes, they are pro-gun control, but the way they talk about it isn't in a condescending kind of dividing kind of way. They're not saying, oh, mm. if you love guns, you're a fucking idiot. They're saying, we need to unite on this topic. We need to work out what works and what doesn't work. We get that some people like guns, but we need to also take some steps to make this sort of stuff better. I, I find it so exciting that America is, that, that prominent people in American politics are having uniting conversations. Mm. Like, like, you fuck with the yeah. NRA and your, 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 oh, your you know, <laughs> but both of them have a track record of fucking with the NRA, yeah. and usually just, that would block you from getting from getting to the level that they've gotten to uh, as as potential president and vice mm. president. But how exciting that it hasn't stopped them from getting to this level, and let's hope that they do fuck a bit with the NRA. Mm, that's it. And like the fact that she immediately made her chief of staff an out lesbian, um, yes, was a former um, yeah. Obama White House staffer. So I think her name's Karine Jean Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she's an out lesbian. So I'm like, how progressive is that? That's awesome. Yeah, fantastic. Also, the first uh, black woman, I believe, to potentially be um, chief of yeah. staff as well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Also, talking about something utterly terrifying, other than American <laughs> politics, is what the fuck are teenagers doing nowadays? I'm I'm so scared of teenagers. I tell you why. Whenever I see teenagers on public transport, I'm like, holy shit, they're going to beat the shit out of me. 
But, uh, like we mentioned before, they are um, huge users of the social media app TikTok, which is generally used for learning dances and post- <laughs> <laughs> posting captions over the top of them, um, sometimes political in nature. But they are also sort of the source of a lot of the latest trends that the youth of today are tapping into. Uh, one that was popping up on my feed quite a lot in the past few weeks they're calling the femboy trend mm. um, which started off as femboy friday um, with a particular user posting it it's a really interesting view of i think how the younger people are viewing these gender norms it's so great and it's like it's so nice seeing such a young community embracing so much of it as well but mm. that's the thing with this femboy movement is that it's not necessarily just queer no. individuals so it's actually opening itself up for people that don't identify as queer mm. particularly male identifying teens to experiment with things like makeup traditionally classified feminine clothing so dresses tank tops things like that even though they don't identify sexually as queer or as you know part of the lgbtiqa community Mm. it's just as uh, young people expressing themselves in a very genuine way that said however i have seen the flip side where a few people, and it, it, it's probably people of my generation who don't like when young people do anything nice, <laughs> starting to hold up the magnifying glass and going, "Is what? how, how legitimate is this? Mm. Is there a level of appropriation here? Mm. Or are we just seeing femboys expressing themselves in a, a, a genuine fashion? I don't, have you watched any of yeah. these TikToks? Uh, I haven't I seen it on TikTok. As I said, I don't use TikTok, but I have read a couple of articles about it and, you know, people share TikToks on on the very old-fashioned medium of Facebook, which I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I kind of get where, you know, people, as you said, that might be of our generation or older, um, feel like that it's sort of been a bit appropriated and stuff. But I feel like, I mean, from what I've read about the guys that are doing it on TikTok, you yeah. know, th- these amazing young people that are very pro-queer, even if they aren't p- part of the queer scene. And to me, in my mind, that essentially makes you queer anyway. If you agree, if you're yeah. if you're an ally, hmm. um, you're part of our family. So I kind of get why some people might have their back up a bit about it. But as long as these kids aren't, you know, putting on a dress and then the next day calling people faggots, yeah. I, I don't have an issue with it at all. One thing I've learned a lot about over the last couple of years of doing this podcast is, you know, we we were sort of born being told you're boys and that sort of thing. But I'm so excited that there is a generation growing up going, hey, yeah, I can put on a, a dress and, and paint my nails and whatever and it doesn't really matter yeah. because I do think that's hopefully where we're going. I think it is where we're going, that mm-hmm. boys won't be told they have to play football and girls won't be told they have to wear dresses and that there will be icons for these kids to look up to where someone that they physically look like might be wearing stuff that the other people they don't physically look like wear that they, mm-hmm. can, they can associate with. As long yeah. as they don't grow up to be Jeffree Star, then... <laughs> oh god that is a mess of human being Imagine, no. maybe like maybe there is hope for the world after all if there's a person yeah. with in leadership for america and boys redefining their like masculinity and like yeah. oh god like come on it's hope it's <laughs> well the harsh the, the reminder here is that i i don't know if we ever did discuss it on the show but you'll remember there was that tiktok trend yeah where the, those two high school boys were posting their like romantic yeah, like doing it for clout on TikTok. Journey, um, yeah. and, and, and it was absolutely for clout. So there was no sort of yeah. allyship there. There was, mm. there was actually <laughs> yeah, no intent. Yeah. And, and no. that's 
part of mm. the um, motivating factor towards some people looking at this and going, I want to see some receipts. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just like, uh, for me, I, I screenshot their looks and go, I, I wonder if that outfit's on ASOS and let me add it <laughs> to my little wish list yeah, sort of thing. Maybe. So I don't sit on either side. It, it's just for like putting the information out there. That's why some people are looking at this movement and going, mm. oh, we've been burnt by this before. Uh, yeah. We lifted some of these young people really up on a platform within our community mm. to find out they were doing it for clout and no other reason. Totally. But um, uh, yeah. from the examples I've seen, it, it's just a lot of really fierce outfits and people expressing yeah. themselves. So far, so far. So far, that's it. Like, I honestly wish that there were more guys around when I was their age yes. who was doing this because, mm. like, I was already very feminine as, like, a teenager. I was wearing makeup and, like, wearing nail polish and stuff and, like, I got hounded all the time and to think that, like, there are these cis straight boys out there doing this, making any other queer kid feel comfortable Absolutely in their space yeah. makes me, like, it really, really touches my heart and I honestly hope that these boys are doing it for the right reason. And as you said, Luke, I hope they're not just doing it for clout. I think some of them are genuinely, genuinely doing this. Mm. Did I, I just said that twice. <laughs> I, I, believe, I believe that they are because, because people, yeah. <laughs> I choose to believe that they are because people do, yeah. children do this in real life. I remember like going to my grandma's house and she would get out all of our old frocks yeah. and we would put them on and stuff. But the difference was then she would make sure that I was out of them before my dad got there to pick me up because, mm. because we had to keep it secret. We had to keep it quiet. The, to me, this is, those kids, and, and Mikey, you and I have talked about this before, you you sort of played around a lot with clothes yeah. and, and expression uh, through breaking stereotypes, even as a child, where you don't even realise that that's what you're doing. You're just having fun. No. So I have to believe, I choose and I have to believe that these kids are actually just doing what we used to do mm. secretly at our grandma's house or in mum's closet or whatever, but doing it to a mainstream audience and, and then hopefully reaching out to other young kids. They're doing it in a very high fashion way, by the way. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, they would have looked much better than me and my grandma's wedding dress. <laughs> <dress. laughs> Don't you guys feel like the original guy for, uh, to do this was like Jaden Smith? Like, I don't know, it's pr- he like loves yeah, it, right? Yeah, and um, that, yeah. there was all those photos of him going to his formal with that girl from the Hunger Games, and like he had like yeah. the long like skirt and like rocking it. Have it's you guys nice. seen the um the other hashtags or trends that have come out of it where so obviously Femboy Friday is the hashtag, but now they're doing Femboy Hooters. Oh, yeah. oh yes. <laughs> Goth IHOP and Tomboy Outback. And I'm just like, can these places actually exist, please? Because <laughs> like I think these would be incredible. Oh if I could gosh. go to a like a Femboy Hooters, I would be in heaven. Like, well, that would oh. be your version of heaven. Is a Hooters yeah. restaurant. <laughs> TikTok's so great. No wonder fucking Trump wants to shut it down. (laughs) That's your good place? Could you imagine if that was the good place? Welcome to Hooters. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Eric Dennison is leading a range of studies at the Monash University School of Social Sciences and joins us today to discuss homophobia in sport. Uh, he's conducted nearly 20 studies in 42 different sports on the impact of homophobic language on children and says the link between homophobic language and the high rates of suicide and self-harm among LGBT youth is clear. Eric, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you for your interest in this. We're going to talk about sport, finally. <laughs> finally. Really, finally? This is your top of your list, was it? Yeah. No, very last episode. <laughs> oh, maybe we should talk about sport. And finally, we get to talk about sport, because I think it is a really important part of yeah. our growing culture. So thank you so much for joining us and sharing um, some of your passion with us today. Thanks for your interest in it. Oh, you know, we do what we can. Um, (laughs) So you've released some recent studies looking specifically at community sport and clubs, and the findings do show that the LGBTI plus community still experiences a range of social barriers to participating in sport. For me, it was um, just being terribly uncoordinated (laughs) and not being very good at it in the first place. But what are some of the barriers that our community faces um, when looking to join these community clubs? I think you're spot on there around this, Mm. like, I'm not very coordinated and I'm not good at it. And I think a lot of um, gay kids and LGBT kids kind of self-exclude because for straight kids, they don't have this, uh, and cisgender, they don't have this sort of extra layer of worry. And, you know, I was one of those kids who actually really liked playing sport when I was young. At first, you know, my parents were pushing me into it and I hated it. But then you get to really enjoy it as you get a bit older. But then I started figuring out, oh, wait. I'm finding my uh, my teammates a bit attractive. There's something different about me. What's going on here? I'm not supposed to feel that way. And that's when I started really hearing the homophobic language that's being used and the jokes about gay people. And every time someone drops a ball, you're a fag or you're a puff or whatever. And that cut really deep for me as a kid. And I think a lot of us think that things have changed in sport. And sadly, they haven't. And that's the mm. research that's coming out is that it's like the 1970s. The sport has remained this little vortex of um, language that you know is still seen as acceptable and normal, but yeah. nowhere else in society can you you know repeatedly call someone a fag. It's um, like the Sam Sam Newmans of the world. They say things in the public media, and and you're just like what the fuck is you know and and yeah. I think within that bubble of sports, it's a different vernacular or, or a different level, but. And we didn't really know the impact of that until recently. And, and you know, credit to um, like the Obama administration in particular, but also researchers in Canada, because they've um, they recently started including measures of sexuality and gender identity in these massive studies. I don't know if you remember when you were back in school and you had to fill out the sort of surveys by the government oh, yeah. around like, health. Well, before they didn't ask about sexuality, and in Australia, it's really you know it's really depressing. They still don't ask about sexuality, but um, the American government, for their you know credit to them, they started asking about sexuality, and the alarm bells, particularly around public health researchers, just started ringing in the last five years because this data is coming out that 
gay kids are playing sport at half the rate of straight kids, that their risk of self-harm is much higher. And, and, you know, before it was kind of more advocacy research that would find this. This is coming from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which is kind of like, you know, the big daddy of public health agencies. And so that's where the research that we're doing at Monash and, and even Monash being interested in this topic. Previously, it's sort of been more smaller universities. But at Monash, they realize, oh, this is a major public health crisis that yeah. these kids are being the target of homophobic abuse in school, uh, in sport environments and school sport environments. Um, and there is deterring them from playing sport. And we know now the other really big piece of research that's come out is that if you're exposed to homophobic language um, and sports, the prime site for that to occur, you're much more likely to self-arm and uh, attempt suicide. And so we really need to knock this language on its head in sport and figure out mm -hmm. solutions to stop it, not only because we want kids to get the benefits of playing sport, but also we don't want them to be harmed, particularly in places like PE class and, you know, where they have to play sport, where they have no choice. Yeah. It makes so much sense to me. I think my dad used to force me to play football like community football and i think i made it two or three games before he gave up and was like oh i think this kid's quote unquote artistic yeah, yeah. but it was the first time growing up that i sort of started thinking of the idea of what passing means is like mm. there's no room to be any different you have to pass as as you know the football player otherwise you're ripped to shreds and 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 what's interesting is I, I my sense is that a lot of gay guys don't want to think about sport. And that's yeah. maybe why we kind of celebrate. We're like, oh, yeah, we've got gay marriage and, you know, things are great. We have workplace inclusion and, you know, that kind of thing. And yet we have these horribly toxic and dangerous sport environments for our young people that we're not really doing anything about. And it's actually, uh -huh. you know, in our own research, it's almost all straight people driving the research um, because they're so alarmed by mm. the impacts. And I guess to us, it's just sort of, oh yeah, sport's horrible. It's, <laughs> it's like, kind of like, oh, yucky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even for me deciding to do this research as a gay man, mm. it was really challenging because just reading the comments on the surveys that we do, and, you know, it's quite cut steep to see, the proportion of kids who still agree with statements like gay men are disgusting and you know you know it's religious and you can kind of compartmentalize it and think okay right and it's sport and that kind of thing but it you know it does cut pretty deep and i think you know one of the challenges i think we as a as a community will probably need to do is start looking at environments like schools which haven't mm. changed that much and sport and start saying okay wait we've won a lot of rights but we need to start protecting our young people and putting a lot all the effort we've put into gay marriage we need to start putting into saving the lives of our young people now that there's really good data coming out that, you know, the rates of self-harm and suicide are so alarming. Now, you've also found that individuals at nearly sort of half of the Australian sporting clubs involved in the studies still believe that homosexuality is wrong and unnatural. Um, was that sort of, uh, was that finding surprising to you at all? Well, research has found that for some reason, we're not exactly sure why, boys who play sport are more likely to be homophobic than mm. the general society. And we think that's probably because sport is, if you're going to play sport, you're more inclined to be sort of, we call it social dominance oriented. So you, you believe in social dominance and hierarchy and structure. And so therefore, you know, there's weak people and strong people. So maybe that's why, who knows, but what is really fascinating, and this has shocked us all, including me, because when I started this research, I thought that 
the reason why boys are using this language is because they are homophobic. And we found that that's not the case. So boys who are homophobic are just as likely as boys who have lots of close gay friends to regularly use homophobic slurs or make derogatory jokes about gay people in sport environments, okay. which seems totally counterintuitive. So why yeah. would you be using this language that seemingly if you have close gay friends, you would know is harmful to them. Yeah. And so we've done a lot of research trying to look under the hood to figure out why this is. And it, it all seems to come down to this perception that there are no gay people in this environment because, you know, playing sport is a straight person thing. Mm. And then they also, no one's actually told them to stop in sport unlike maybe at home because they're not using this language at home. So that's why we know it's a sport specific thing. But it all comes down to kind of mimicking each other. It's like these social norms um, that are unique in sport where, you know, the young boys come into the sport environment. This language is being used by older boys, particularly ones they respect, and they just kind of pick it up. And it's just the thing they do. The problem with that is, yeah, they're using it in a sport and it's really harmful to gay kids and LGBT kids generally because trans kids are often the target of this language. But then they're carrying this language into adulthood and it's and it's helping shape their perceptions of gay people. So if every time a ball's dropped and they hear a sexist slur or a homophobic slur, that's shaping their perceptions for life about males who are gay or women about being weak mm. or undesirable. So that's why we really need to step up this language, not just because we need to help you know our, our young people, but it could actually help prevent these sort of deep-seated biases that form that are really hard to change that we all encounter in the workplace, you know? Mm. Oh, you're the gay guy. You're the creative one. You can, yeah, you know, yeah. you can organize the company party because, you know, it just comes naturally to you mm. kind of thing. Yeah. And it does perpetuate itself too, like you said. So they grow up with these slurs in, in their mind and then they perpetuate them onto the next group coming into the community sport. It's, it's sort of like you have to break the chain somewhere with this. Yeah, then I think you hit the nail on the head there exactly. And that's how we actually describe it at academic conferences is it's this bizarre self-perpetuating thing that's going on where mm. no one has actually ever gone into sport and said, hey, stop using this language. So, of course, it's not going to stop because it's, you know, it used to be a really homophobic environment like everywhere in society, but it's the sort of last you know, bastion of homophobia or at least <laughs> homophobic behavior that everyone, no one wants to touch, you know, the gays don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. You know, I think the most important thing is that the public health agencies have really started to cotton on to this. And they're like, hold on, if we're going to reduce these rates of suicide and self-harm in young people, we need to start addressing the problems in sport and clean up sport, but also with women, I think increasing the number of women playing sport has really helped because there is a, a slightly disproportionately high rate of um, lesbian women, particularly the, as adult um, participants, but it's not that much. It's not as high as everyone perceives it to be. It's only like 2% higher than the population, not 80% higher. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. that's helped because it's starting to raise awareness that there's this bizarre culture that no one's really challenged in sport that's going on yeah. that we really need to do something about. In female sport, like, how bad is homophobia? Like, is it a present thing and is it, like, a predominant thing? Um, you know what's really fascinating, and this also mm. really annoys me when I go to panels and stuff when we're talking about homophobia in sport, and it is a lesbian on there. And for lesbians, you know, they are stigmatized, but it actually impacts, or it seems to impact straight girls or girls who are in the closet more than anyone than openly lesbians because 
for them, they, they avoid sport. We just finished a study in rugby where we found, I mean, it was a large study in the UK and we found around 96% of girls. So basically every girl mm. thought that people perceived that they were a lesbian because they played rugby. Because they played Okay. But only about 15% of them were actually lesbians on these teams. Yeah, yeah. And so there's this perception um, gap. And a lot of the, the women said, I, I actually was avoiding playing rugby because I didn't want people to think I was a lesbian. Or I don't want to come out as lesbian because I don't want to stigmatize my sport. Um, for gay boys, what they do is they avoid the sport because it's seen as sort of a heterosexual place. So it's kind of opposite land. For women, but you know, people who say there's no problem in sport, I think they need to broaden their horizon around well, this stigma of you know women who challenge the norms by playing you know sports like rugby or cricket. Well, they must be lesbian because they're just weird. Yeah, you know? yeah. that's the issue that we need to really yeah. fix because that sort of is the underpinnings of sexism and all the rest of the problems mm. we have in society. That was definitely like a big part of roller derby as well. Like I played roller derby probably about mm. eight or nine years ago now, but it was the same thing. There was probably maybe a handful of like queer women that played the sport, but everyone else was straight. But it was very much perceived that everyone that plays roller derby is a lesbian and that's it and like it's just not that at all and it makes me sad that women are shying away from sport because they don't want to be perceived that way it's crazy i argue actually that sport is the key to to dealing with homophobia and and sexism is that because he's you know 65 percent of boys play sport up until about 16 17 so this is a prime place of social learning outside of their family environment for them so then they're learning these things for the rest of their lives. So the fact that no one's really made any effort to clean up sport, it baffles me because I think that's almost the key to solving a lot of our social issues. We're, I mean, it's really hard to change in, you know, a 40 year old guy's mind running a bank or whatever he's doing and the bias. And we know that now, I mean, there's been so many studies around how hard it is to change that bias in adults. So if we, we need to start earlier and we need to stop boys from being getting these, this programming that there's something wrong with, you know, a woman who wants to play sport or there must not be gay boys here because they don't play sport. There's still, we're still finding that stereotype, but we're not finding the overt homophobia, which is interesting because again, guys who are not homophobic are using this homophobic language, but it's sort of this subtle sort of stereotype kind of language that's going on that they're, it's almost like they're automatrons using this language without without any thought. And so that's really where we're focused now is we know the problem and now it's around solutions. Like what are going to be effective ways to change this language in particular, because it's not really a homophobia problem. It's a, it's a homophobic language problem. Yeah. Yeah. And not seeing the impacts that it has further down the line sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Cool. I've always said being gay is a sport. Do you agree with that? (laughs) (laughs) Of course it is. Being gay is a sport and I'm losing it. Um, (laughs) Something that I've seen more and more of in in the past few years, which has been really positive, is seeing a lot of pride cups in different sports Mm -hmm. and sort of pride events as well, uh, which has been the most tempted I've been to partake in the sporting community because maybe yeah, yeah. there's drinks involved in in that now part of the research you've done has actually evaluated various pride cup programs to understand the negative experiences that lgbti plus athletes having these clubs do you find that having events and pride cups make a difference in terms of the mental health and the well-being of these uh, lgbt athletes 
and I'm guessing people at home might be groaning right now thinking, oh yeah, it's pride games are just, you know, pink washing or yeah, rainbow yeah. washing. And I was one of those. Like I thought, oh yeah, sure. The AFL is holding these things to sell merchandise. Um, and the NHL has been doing it. They've probably the league that they pioneered it like in uh, 2013. And I thought, oh, they're just doing it to sell, you know, tickets. So I was as shocked as anyone when we found they actually have a big impact on homophobic language. So we've done two separate studies. One looked at these community level pride cups, which, um, you know, Jason Ball pioneered. Mm. We did a randomized uh, study. So we randomly selected clubs that have held them and clubs that haven't. We compared them. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't as rigorous as it could be. It wasn't a full trial, but it was pretty well-designed research. And um, what we found is clubs that have held pride cups, the language, homophobic language was used at half the rate of clubs that have not held these things. So wow. it definitely helps to reduce the homophobic language. They also had a better culture overall. Um, sexist language was less. What was interesting is there weren't more openly gay athletes or LGBT athletes, which was a bit, we think it's probably too soon. It's only been a few mm -hmm. years. Yeah. And then we did a, another study looking at the professional level with um, all the semi-professional ice hockey teams in Australia. And same thing, we found the language use was around half compared to clubs. Uh, so clubs that have held pride games, they used half the language of clubs that have not held these things. And so, so we're on to something there. And we think it's probably this whole thing that you were talking about earlier around this self-perpetuation, putting rainbows up everywhere, talking about gay people, inviting someone to speak, you know, at the start of it, that kind of thing. It helps to break the cycle of language use, yeah. but it hasn't stopped. And that's because we think the language used around the the messaging is often around you know inclusion diversity still no one's saying stop using homophobic language like really yeah. plain language we know you don't think it's homophobic we know you don't mean to be homophobic but you don't realize the impact so that's where we need to go next and i think if we do that we'll probably increase the effect the other thing we're looking at it's kind of peer champions essentially just activating people on the teams like the captains and vice captains to say, you know, your job is basically to make sure this language stops. And what's interesting is most of them don't even like this language, but they think everyone else likes uh, it. Yeah. It's this bizarre disconnect of perception and reality. You know, they also think that their team would be welcoming to a gay person when in reality, of course, it wouldn't be. So we think it would be relatively easy. And we've done some initial trials activating kind of captains to say, you don't have to do much, just give them a look. Just tell them like this kind of language isn't used here. Yeah, yeah. Now we're looking to run some trials with that um, in uh, Canada, the UK, and Australia. You know, we have the clubs willing to do it, and we have universities wanting to do it. Unfortunately, with COVID, finding funding to do research right now is mm. quite a challenge, and particularly on things like LGBT, because it's kind of a um, viewed as not as important, even though we have all this data on harm and, and that kind of thing so lies, so that's yeah. frustrating we're so close to finding some good solutions you know if we can combine pride cups with better education plus getting activating champions we think if we did that in a relatively short time we might be able to really stop this language that we know is so harmful to our young people mm. so we're all familiar with uh rupaul's hit song champion which is a <laughs> where are we going <laughs> I just from sport to rupaul we had to get get her in there somewhere but... well i mean i gotta take this ride where i want it to go baby <laughs> um but speaking of champions within the sporting community at large we have people like david pocock who is um 
quite the snack, S-N-A-C-C, who were out there being pro-LGBT. What sort of impacts have you seen um, with a prominent public figure like that speaking out against homophobia or in support of? Um, yeah, no, and I've met him and he is quite the snack. <laughs> he's a lovely human being as well. He's amazing. Tell me more. But he's amazing not only because he's a uh, you know, wonderful Adonis, but mm. he was, we think, we're not sure, but he was actually the first professional athlete of any sort of you know merit to publicly support gay marriage. Amazing. And he refused to marry his girlfriend until there was gay marriage. And what's interesting, he's a um, a devout Christian. So we have coined a term called the Pocock effect because during the same-sex marriage plebiscite uh, vote, that horrid thing we all had to go through, we did this piece of research looking at, like, because if you read the Rupert Murdoch press, the support mm. from the major sports for same-sex marriage was causing this major backlash among fans and, you know, they were losing memberships and et cetera, et cetera. So we wanted to test that. So we did a national uh, survey and we found the opposite was happening, that actually sports fans were the most supportive of same-sex marriage uh, in terms of their sports supporting it. Um, they weren't necessarily yes voters, but they thought it was a good idea for their sports to do this because it would help them become relevant with young people. But rugby fans were the most supportive out of all of them. Wow. And we think that's because it's become so normal to support gay people in that sport. And David Pocock was the reason for that. So he kind of gave everyone permission to say, well, I may not agree with this, you know, quote unquote lifestyle. Maybe I'm going to vote no, but I'm okay with my sport supporting this community. Yeah. And uh, he's had a, a remarkable effect, we think, in terms of the language in the sport. And in, in a study, we just uh, were just in the middle of, we found that gay athletes have, who play with the Sydney Convicts, which is my old rugby team, they report a lot less homophobic language being used during games. And they think that was because David Pocock very publicly called out language being used. Mm -hmm. So we think he's had an, an amazing, and that's what we're hoping to replicate on sort of the club level, like the community level. If we can, you know, we know that there's David Pocock like characters um, at clubs. We just kind of need to give them permission to say, hey, your job mm -hmm. is to stop this language and and try and create a more welcoming culture for everyone. Mm, the Pocock effect. Was yeah, Ashton Kutcher that. in that one? Was that? <laughs> 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 but it does have, that's, that's really important, yeah. I think, fact to share is like these loud, prominent voices really do have a ripple effect on the greater community. Mm. We also saw Rugby Australia settle uh, on litigation with Israel Folau. Did you see that outcome as helpful in propelling the anti-homophobia and sport movement? Even just, I'm fascinated to hear the mm. effects of that because it felt like it was getting crazier and crazier oh, yeah. each week. Yeah, and I think people might not like my answer. I know I got a bit of hate mail um, after I, I spoke out of the meeting around the positive. It was a positive decision because I think people need to think about three things. So if Rugby Australia had won, the government was going to change the law anyway. So the win would have been pointless. It would have been a win for nothing. Um, and they would just go and, you know, bankrupt themselves, even though they already are bankrupt because of it. Um, the second piece was that it was causing so much harm to our young people. So all of this vitriol and hatred that was going on that pretty much stopped the minute they settled, it all stopped. And we yeah. need to really, there's increasing number of, of studies coming out saying that just the debate around same-sex marriage or equal rights or bathroom rights or whatever is really harmful to our young people, which I think we really need to start thinking about how is this impacting our young people? Mm. Um, and they also send a really strong message. I think 
people see this as kind of a bolt for the blue, but rugby has been involved in this issue primarily due to the leadership of the Sydney convicts in, in Sydney, but all the gay and inclusive rugby teams throughout Australia, probably, I mean, well before the AFL, since about 2009, the Wallabies were the first team to appear in a national anti-homophobia and sport campaign, um, and the only professional athletes to do so. So they have this sort of long tradition that no one knows about. And so the Israel Falau thing wasn't particularly surprising. And in fact, what it did is it sent a message to everyone in the sport these are the new standards. These are the new norms. And that's kind of what we need to happen at each individual sporting club now, if you will. Yeah, that was a roller coaster ride, what happened. But mm-hmm. I was impressed with how quickly Rugby Australia was sort of responding. And, and it felt like historically something like that could have popped up in the media and be pushed aside very quickly or been a like, uh, we're not going to acknowledge this, you know, because we don't want to open the Pandora's box of having these difficult conversations. And the media, I mean, to what you just alluded to, the media used to ignore this issue. So the fact they even cared about it and, you know, they probably went over the top, like it was clearly getting clicks. You know, my friend works at news.com.au and he said, you know, they would, it was always one of the highest click things, I think. But um, yeah, I could imagine, you know, the fact even the public's interest in this topic is a big change. So I think the next piece is, right, you're interested in this. Well, let's try and fix it. Mm. (laughs) I don't actually think it's going to be that hard to do, but then the benefits are quite far reaching that if you can solve the issues in sport, you have a potential to solve sort of these issues of bias um, as people become adults. Mm. Despite all the progresses in, in various areas, especially in the AFL with things like the pride cup. And I know they've put a lot of attention towards the mental health and well being of their players because I Google search gay football quite often. <laughs> Probably for different reasons than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I still get what I want out of it. <laughs> um, there are currently zero out AFL players. Um, do you think this is a matter of time sort of thing, or do you think there's something more ingrained in that reason? You know what is is fascinating? We've thought so much, and I personally have thought so much about it because you've had gay you know soccer players multiple ones gay even american football which is like the most brutal of sports you've had you know multiple rugby players and but yet you have afl you've never had a gay player or retired or current bizarrely same with the national hockey league which has also been a pioneer on this issue so we i've recently started to look at that with um players from both sports to try and figure out why this is and what the parallel is because there's obviously some kind of parallel and what we what we our theory our working theory is that conformity is really strong in both of those sports mm-hmm. you know it seems to be maybe around not wanting to stick your neck out you don't want to be seen as a tall poppy or you just want to go along with what the team's doing whereas in sports maybe like rugby or, or even american football or soccer there's a bit more individualism about them. Uh, you know, okay. it's sort of, you know, particularly rugby, you know, and soccer, it's very much about stars and individuals and, and Ronaldo. Uh, yeah, oh, exactly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> He's a famous soccer player. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it may or may not be, uh, have a secret boyfriend. Oh, so let's see. Who knows? But, um, but I think that's, that is a bizarre thing, AFL, Mm -hmm. because they have done a lot and we know that there are gay players in the AFL. Um, they're just not coming out. There's a period where a few of them are going to come out together and that never really eventuated. And you can understand why, because the consequences are quite severe and we're, we just finished another study looking at what happens when kids come out in sport. 
because yeah. there's this often idea that, oh, they'll just come out and she'll be all right. Um, well, that's not the case that actually when boys in particular come out to their teammates in sport, they're much more likely to be the target of homophobic abuse. So why would anyone come out in sport? Um, because it, the language is rife in the AFL. We've done heaps of studies. It's like 75% of, of AFL players have heard their teammates use words like fag and puff in the past two weeks. And around half of them have used this language themselves. And, you know, so that's them self-reporting this. So it's obviously mm -hmm. even higher. I would expect it to be 100% have heard their teammates use this language. You know, about a quarter of them say their coach have used this language in the past two weeks. So this language is rife in particularly in sports like AFL and, and ice hockey and, and rugby. And it's probably that, you know, hyper-masculine kind of culture. Mm. Like addressing issues like this in sport obviously has implications on kids, as you mentioned earlier, especially with like sport being such a huge part of school environments and like everybody having to do PE classes as well. You experienced homophobic bullying and had to move schools as a teenager growing up in Vancouver. How did that experience lead you to the work that you do now? Yeah, and PE class, I mean, I think we can all agree it's horrible. Yeah, like, absolutely. Way to bring up that, Adam. Oh, oh, I know. phone number for your clinic again? We'll that off to a Zarago. Picking, getting picked last, and, you know, <laughs> all the changing room and all. And that's the thing. And that, yeah. and fascinating, that hasn't changed either. So we're working with a large charity in America that's studied this thing since 2009 mm. PE class is always the sport environment that kids are most likely to avoid um, lgbt kids and the PE teacher is the least trusted teacher of all teachers at schools so that hasn't changed either and um you know the problem with that is there's research showing that PE class is good for teaching kids lifelong skills, for introducing them to physical activity and giving them the confidence to throw a ball and those kinds of things. So keep mm. missing out on that. They lose those benefits. But then they also the trauma of the changing facility. Like in my case, my PE teacher said, oh, sorry, I can't keep you safe. Just don't come anymore. I'm like, but it's like, what? it's the start of the year. What am I supposed to do for the rest of the year for an hour, like three times a week? It's like, I don't know, do whatever you want. I'll just pass you. You know, you should be happy. So what did I do? I went out and hung out with the smokers and mm. took off smoking. So um, literally it directly impacted my health by him making that decision. So, That's what happened to me too, Eric. I started smoking around <laughs> the term as well because I yeah. was skipping PE. Yeah. And I was like, well, I mean, who's not in class right now? Well, the smokers and so the druggos and the partiers and stuff. So I went and hung out with them and that actually introduced me to going to raves and parties and stuff. So mm. it all stems back to this decision by this PE teacher not to actually deal with the safety issue that and, you know, keeping me safe. And it led me down a path that could have turned out really negative. Thankfully, it didn't. Yeah. Education and, and knowledge being passed to the PE teachers is really important too. So they're aware, hey, I'm not doing a favor for this kid by saying, fuck off and do what you like. And mm you know, that the level of support there is actually needed to keep them engaged in mm. physical education. And, and potentially we might even like doing sports if, if, if we had a safer environment to, yeah, to, to play in there. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I've taught PE teachers on this topic and I get the sense that a lot of this is sort of the too hard basket. They're like, oh, well, you know, I don't know how to deal with it. And they're actually worried that they're going to be assumed to be gay 
if they defend the gay kids uh, yeah. or the trans kids or whatever. So they're actually worried about being bullied by the kids, which is so bizarre. But yeah. then you think about it, most of them are like athletes and it's all about sport and conformity. And so then it's you're like, scary. Oh. yeah, it's bizarre, but, um, you know, it's not actually in the curriculum, LGBT inclusion in most mm-hmm. PE teacher training. So that's something that we need to uh, adjust as well. But, but I think it's probably, you know, that's one factor, but it's, you know, it's also this community sporting club thing that's going on as well. Well, Eric, I just want to say a big thank you for joining us for our last episode this evening. It has been really, really great chatting with you. Is there any way that our listeners can sort of help continue your research that you're doing? Yeah, like I mentioned, we're, tr- we're looking to test out this champion thing and Pride Cups and better education across three countries because we only really have data from Australia now. There's universities in University of British Columbia and Warwick in the UK and, and Monash as well. We're looking to raise some money to actually do that research, which is hard to do in the current climate, given a massive cuts to all these programs and, and, and government mm-hmm. funding. So um, you can go to sportinclusionproject.com. And, uh, and if you're interested in supporting it, we need to raise about 20 or 30 grand, um, which isn't a huge amount of money, but the lives that can be saved um, makes a big that. difference. Oh, it's massive. And it's tax deductible as well, which is nice. Even right. better. <laughs> but um, but even, you know, if anyone has a f- associations with sport organizations or it, oftentimes sending a letter to sport organizations can really help. Say, what are you doing about this? Why are you cutting all your diversity officers right now during the cuts? Why is Why are you only keeping your male mm. programs going, your white, heterosexual, cisgender male coaches, but all your pride games have been cut and, and women's teams and... So even that can really help move things along. It's really challenging what sport is doing and, and why is it being allowed to remain this last bastion of homophobia? Like you know, even the military has cleaned up its act and police forces, yet sport is just sort of allowed to do what it wants to do and, mm. and harm our children. Powerful words, the last bastion of homosexuality. Thank you so much for coming on the show and finally injecting some sport (laughs) into our little show. I appreciated the time you took with us so much and the work that you're doing and the the research and information you're providing back to the community. It's, it's, It's so important. Thank you so much for your interest. And thanks for doing the show that you've been doing. It's really important, all the issues that you've raised and profiled and giving a voice to so many people. So thank you. Oh, this old thing. (laughs) 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 Thank you, Eric. Thanks. Boys, I'm literally holding back tears. This is brings us to the last episode, the the, the last goodbye of the last episode of our regular show. I want to just say I love all three of you so much, as we've talked about before. Mm. I've gotten to to know you all so well and to share so much with you. And we've talked about stuff that none of us ever thought we'd be talking about in public. Um, and I love I love the, the little community we've built. So thank you so much. Yeah. One thing that I wanted to, to ask everyone and do a bit of a quick roundtable before we go mm. is what is it that you hope our listeners take from this show we've spent so much time and energy over the last two years putting it together what Mm. do you hope people take from it i really hope they take my load oh my god you know how emotional i am (laughs) (laughs) um look honestly coming to the end of the show it feels it feels very natural actually Mm. it it feels like now is the right time to do it like I, i said earlier 
when I think back as to like, if I was to say to anybody listening to the show, like what has been important to me about this is through this show, I, I, I proved something I didn't believe in myself, which was that boys like me could get opportunities like mm, this. Yeah. And, and as, as a, a queer person of color, the default in my mind is to not put your hand up. You're the kid that sits at the back of the class so you don't get noticed. And and you're the kid that doesn't get cast in things. You're mm. the kid that doesn't apply for things. It literally came down to like the day of applications where I said, no, I have to put my hand up. And, and, it, and it's done so well. And I've heard from so many other people queer people of color within the community who tune in every single week because they they appreciate hearing someone with a shared lived experience to them and and yeah. i would want anyone listening to this so to take away that the next time an opportunity comes your way and and your learned experiences tell you not to put your hand up for it because of what's happened in the past or the way that society operates you know put both fucking hands up for it you know, wave and scream and say, I will do it. And I will do it better than anybody else you can find because your voice is so valuable right now. It's been not heard for far too long. Put yourself forward for all those opportunities that maybe you didn't in the past. Mm. I, I certainly did. And, and I'd prove to myself what I didn't believe in by doing this. Kyle? <laughs> oh, gosh. There's so many things like it's been such a journey for me and like when I look back at like who I was when starting this it's it's crazy like if I could talk directly to some of the listeners and what I want them to take away as like from the experience of listening to the show mm. don't get trapped into the mindset of thinking you are insignificant like don't forget that that you matter and that you can contribute to a change that your voice matters. Everyone has room to grow as a person. So allow yourself to do that and allow others to do that and help them if you're able to. And like as a cliche as it might sound, I guess be proud. Be proud of who you are. Be proud of your community. Because honestly, I don't think I was. And thank you for sticking with me and letting me grow as a person and becoming proud and yeah just for all you guys being there for me and the listeners being so nice and like the messages i've received it's really it helped me with my confidence and just remember like you don't have to fit into someone's idea of what you should be and there's no correct way of being gay or queer or trans bi or lesbian just embrace all of it yeah. <laughs> wow, Mikey, this, yours better be funny because the other two have to cry. Wow, sorry. Oh god. I guess what I want well what I hope that our listeners have taken away from our show is that it is okay to be different and just to be yourself unapologetically, like every single day, be you, be loud and be proud. And be kind to yourself and be kind to everybody around you. Whether you are a POC or trans or non-binary person or a queer person, there's always, always going to be space and always space for you. And you are all valid, every single one of you. You're all beautiful, beautiful people. And 
thank you so much for joining us on this crazy journey that we've all been on together. And I'm just so happy that I've had this experience and I feel so fortunate. And thank you so much to everybody that supported us. And thank you so much to you guys for being on this journey with me. And I can't imagine not doing it now. Like, yeah. If you had um, said to me two and a bit years ago that this is what was going to be happening, I would have laughed in your face. But, totally. but I guess I, my parting words would be black lives matter, trans lives matter, <laughs> and always revolt against the powers that be because the gays are revolting. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful words. <laughs> it won't surprise you that um, my, my whole thing that I hope people take from this is sex stuff. Um, <laughs> but I do, I do, like I was reflecting on this last episode and I was like, what am I proud of and what do I hope I've changed for, for younger people or even older people that, that are listening to this that I didn't have in my own life? And and as I've talked about, like my, my life growing up, knowing that I was gay in, a, in an incredibly heterosexual house and an incredibly uh, heterosexual school and that sort of thing meant that I really hated the feeling, the sexual feelings. It wasn't so much about the, the lifestyle feelings, but the sexual cravings that I had for other men was something that I despised in myself. And even even for my first several years on the gay scene, when I was out and I was fine with the community, I, I was still sometimes feeling sick about the fact that I have was having sex with men. Um, so I hope the 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 way that we've talked about sex on on this podcast openly and and honestly and and about enjoying it but also being responsible in how you do it and the people that you do it with um, and also uh, being responsible in your sexual health and those sorts of things these are all things that I found terrifying years ago so I, I hope that that us talking about that sort of stuff has has helped people that that might also have grown up in a, in a not so welcoming. Mm. Um, environment yeah and also maybe inspire them to try something a little more saucy saucy (laughs) (laughs) to douche properly (laughs) so i'd be like i'm gonna give that a go we should probably also thank a few of the people that helped this show yeah yeah happened over the past two years because believe it or not none of us are capable of doing it (laughs) (laughs) least not me but um One of my favorites was our mate Derek at Castaway Studios. Good old Derek. He had a green screen, he had a sound machine, and he had a giant poster of dogs playing poker, and he always got my motor running. (laughs) Good girl. The lovely Jordan Lodd as well at Acast uh, for her ongoing support and promotional opportunities. Help us get that bank. And a big, big thank you to all of our amazing guests that's come on the show and shared your stories and given us all the information, and including regulars like dr george thank you so much dr george you've been amazing oh and a huge huge big fucking thank you to our patrons honestly you've made our lives like a lot better you've helped us buy tickets to cities to do shows and yeah it's really made a big difference and we really appreciate the support that you've shown us and just giving kind of anything towards this art form that we are doing it validated what we were doing it really did and it it made a big difference to us definitely and so thank you so much for sticking with us it also it goes without saying but a huge huge thank you to um koala mattresses for a great (laughs) (laughs) oh Um, that really takes me back (laughs) the wine Um, i I (laughs) i wouldn't have been able to do the show without um, the support, yeah. the particular the back back support um, that the <laughs> mattresses provided, but as well as that, but anyone that um uh, has ever given us a review on iTunes, all the members of the community, uh, our Facebook group, 
because we're here talking a big game about how big our dicks are or whatever, but <laughs> I've learned so much from talking to you guys, the the people in our group mm. and the the little Instagram messages that I have with you guys and and you know, I, I thank you guys for engaging in those dialogues with us rather than just sort of writing us off if you didn't agree with something we said. So true. Or if yeah. you think we were a, a little just scratching the surface of a topic, yeah. those people are kind of the unsung heroes of these, these shows because they mm. provide us with so much insight and lived experience that we can then learn from. So thank you to everyone who's ever um, shared with us in private mm. or, or at a bar or in our dms you know and of course a huge thank you as well um to the person who without Mm -hmm. we would not have this podcast our incredible producer dan Gregg, head of lip media he he like you uh, we talked about this in the last patreon episode we did an interview with him but but for anyone that's not a patreon you know if you think we put in work into this podcast he puts in a thousand times a lot of work he is the reason that this podcast exists he is the one that does the editing he 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 wrangles us which is definitely not easy uh, especially (laughs) when we're doing a live show in mardi gras and we're blind drunk (laughs) and a little bit high um so a huge Uh, thank you to dan greg as well (laughs) the devil works hard but dan greg works harder Um, of course, we're all going to be having to work on on new projects, and I, I really, honestly, hope so much that the four of us and Dan can can all work on something in the future. In the meantime, something I'm working on. I don't know if I've ever mentioned it to you guys on the podcast before, but I'm part of a comedy group called um, Granny Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> Never heard oh, of it. What? No, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's look. You know, we do live shows normally, but during COVID, we're doing a podcast called Granny Bingo Wireless, and it's I play my own grandmother. It's basically us attacking Karens, but older Karens, World War II generation Karens. <laughs> yeah. It's just us just pointing out the complete flaws in privileged white culture. And our grands uh, from, from the Granny Bingo podcast have actually recorded a special message um, for the final episode of The Gays Revolting. Do you mind Exciting. if I play it? Yeah, go for it. Oh, uh, hello, kiddies. My name is Ms. Edith Vale, and I'm joined by my best friend in the entire world, Maureen McGillicuddy. G'day, gang. How you doing? Uh, <laughs> I hope everybody's well, and uh, what what is this for, sorry? This is the gays revolting. They sure are. What, what the podcast, though? The, yes, well, my yeah. grandson's on the podcast. And is that he right? Was, yes, yes, yes. We don't... He's a bit of a black sheep in the family. We're not too proud of him. He's on this Gays Revolting podcast, and uh, he was saying it's their last episode. So I thought we could just record a little message and say to them, you know, kiddies, if you're sad that the Gays are Revolting is ending, and you're not sure what podcast you're going to listen to... Don't listen to ours! No! Don't listen... No, we don't want that. We don't want your kind of people listening to our podcast. It's... Nothing against you. It's just that we don't like your kind of people. Yeah, yeah, and it, that's you know we're it's a different time. We're we're a different generation. We can't yes. do anything about it. You know, I, I will say it as a podcast that is lasting. It's staying on air. We're still releasing yes. episodes, and- unlike this one. And I think it's because we didn't have Kyle on our podcast. That made a huge difference. Of course, if there's any. Uh, Normal people listening. I don't think what we meant to call. I don't know. We got remember we got that letter because we call straight people normal, which they are. Straight people. Uh, I can't remember. Is it not PC? It's not PC anymore. Well, what am I supposed to say if if you're not a a um, 
If you're not a uh, fat, um, a dark, uh, dark, uh, no, um, uh, no, no, listen, put it this way. If you voted no in the marriage equality postal vote, then you might want to listen to our podcast. You'll love it. <laughs> Birds of a feather. We do all sorts of fun things. You know, we have a little section called Agony Grins where you can write in with your problems and we'll uh, come up with some solutions for you. I'm psychic. And I do readings so I can tell if you're not wearing a mask. <laughs> well, sometimes we read through the obituaries in the newspaper just to see what all our old friends are up to. I will say that that is the one, uh, you know, gay bit of our show because we watched Paul's Drag Race once and we changed the name of the obituary section to Oh, Bitch, you Aries. <laughs> and all the gays were... <laughs> I can speak gay. Did you know that, Maureen? Can you? Yes. Yes, Queen. Uh, oh, wow. Um, slay, hunty. <laughs> oh, um, uh, I've got no idea what you're saying. Fist me in the peel bathroom, darling. <laughs> oh, <laughs> terrific. I don't know what it means, but, uh, you know. Well, it's been, a, it's been a few years. What about this? Uh, do you want to go to the GH for a drink? Is that still... Is that I don't gay? know. I think that's the old language. The old language. Oh, right. Anyway, well, look, you know, if you want to have a listen to us, go for it. But I promise you won't like it. You, no. won't, you won't like what you're listening to. No. All right, kiddies, we'll catch you later. Enjoy the rest of this episode, and we'll see you at the next Mardi Gras. Yes, we'll be the ones at the end of Oxford Street with the protest signs. Looking forward to seeing you. Hooroo. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I'm sorry about those women. They're, they're awful. They're goddamn awful. <laughs> well, one more message for our listeners, I guess, is um, we are going to leave all of our episodes up yeah. online. Um, we are also going to start releasing our post-show content. Um, so obviously it won't be as fresh and relevant, but we just thought it might be nice for people to be able to listen to that. Yeah. So this is stuff that we recorded for our after shows over the last couple of years that'll be uploaded uh, weekly, you know, for something to listen to. Um, but I guess one of the important things is a lot of people might start listening to this podcast in the future and therefore be hearing this episode yeah. months into the future. And, and, and what I'd like to say to them is please jump on Facebook and go to our Facebook group, the Gays Revolting Closed Group in brackets. Um because it is a really lovely community and we are going to keep that Facebook group going and it's a space where people can ask questions or look for advice or, yeah. you know, if they're just feeling a bit shit going there for a chat or anything like that, uh, which is, is one of the things I'm most proud of from doing this podcast. So we're going to keep that, that Facebook group going and um, and I hope everyone stays part of that and continues to share important yeah. information and, and uh, tips. And, and all the people that are so intent that there's been some kind of drama or like that we're ending the podcast. <laughs> everyone is like really after that. So I know. I just wanted to like set it all clear and the reason we're ending the show is because Luke and then you cut it there and then you're done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can you if we just cut on the cliffhanger like that? <laughs> drama mama. Well, I guess for the very last time. Oh my gosh. Bye. 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 <laughs> oh, I love you all. 
Let's get this dinner party started.